didn't matter. I want to say something before we uh, before we get into the to, to the to the word. Um, this week we did have spring break. We weren't here on Wednesday night, and um, I came in one day this week. I believe it was Wednesday, and uh, somebody had totally disrupted the fellowship hall. Couches were turned on their end, over on their back. Uh, chairs were everywhere. All the tables were gone in the in the fellowship hall. All the chairs were gone in the fellowship hall, and uh, uh, just everything was totally out of order. And the reason is because um, um, the nun lease um, used spring break to deep clean everything. Uh, and and all the rooms took all the stuff out, wiped everything down, cleaned everything. We cleaned every everything in the kitchen, cleaned everything in the rooms, cleaned all the floors. In here, they did the same thing, moved all the chairs out, which is a job in itself, and uh, cleaned everything in here. And so, uh, I just want to honor you guys for the hard work that you put in to everything that you do. They hate being recognized, by the way. Uh, but it's it's it wouldn't be right to not recognize it because you do it and and uh, and and we're told to recognize people that do do those kind of things. So thank you for the for not only doing it but doing it right, with the right heart and attitude. They didn't flaunt it. They didn't post on Facebook. Hey, you know, doing all this work at the church this week. No, they would have been fine if nobody had ever noticed. But just knowing that it was done. That's what doing it unto the Lord. That is the way to do it unto the Lord. Is, not to make a show out of it, but to do it uh, for him and his people. So thank you. I want to encourage you to honor them if you would. You know, tell them thank you. Uh, slip them a $20 bill, a $50 bill, a $100 bill. You know, it's, it's work. they do work hard. And, and, um, and uh, being on the cleaning crew at, at one time, it's not easy. It's hard work. And, and so they do a good job, and I appreciate them. Thank you, Nunley. You can tell Wes wherever he is. That's we bragged on him today. That, if he'd have known, he would have. That would have been why he stayed out. One other thing I want to brag on all of you. Uh, we we mentioned before when we had the marriage conference here that uh, the people that did the marriage conference uh, bragged on you and said um, that we were the friendliest church that they had ever been to, friendliest place that they had ever been to, and so that was an honor uh, of itself. So we're at a conference this the beginning of this week at the Well in Scottsboro, and there's this guy teaching. And he, he actually was the um, executive pastor for Jensen Franklin for eight or nine years at one time. Uh, he had worked for Mark Rutland, if you know that name. Um, and now he's at a church in Chattanooga. Uh, really not a big name guy, but a guy who has held high positions in churches that you would know and worked under people. And made the, what an executive pastor does is they make sure... The, 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 the ins and outs of the, of the organization happen and get done. And, uh, and so he was talking. He said um, he was at this church, and, and he went before the board, and he said, I want to tell you that this is the friendliest church that I've ever been, uh, been involved in. And so, uh, so they were like, you know, awesome, like we felt when we were told. And, I, and he said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I also want to tell you something else. I got kind of nervous because we had just been told that we were the friendliest church. <clears throat> he said, oh, don't celebrate too fast. He said, 
He said, this is probably the least engaging church and engaged church that I've ever been a part of. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, my goodness, what, you know, what, what, what about us? But I remembered back to what they said. They said two things. The, marriage, the people that did the marriage conference said two things. We've never been in a church this friendly, and we've never been in a place where the people are this engaged. And, uh, and so I just want to honor you for being, yeah, for being not only friendly but engaged and engaging not with, with, with what's going on and with, with each other. And I, I, I applaud you for that. And we can get better. We can grow. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is growing. But we can grow, but we are doing it right. We just need to get better and do it right uh, uh, more and more often. So I applaud you for that. Um, you didn't know you were you were checking the boxes, but you checked the boxes. You passed the test. Praise God. Colossians chapter 2. Some of you, shame on you, did not think we were ever getting to chapter 2 of Colossians. Daniel Mills, I know that was you. Carrie Lonis, I know that's you. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 of, of Colossians. Okay? We're going to start with verse 1, which is a good place to start. If you ever want to start. Chapter 2, verse 1, Colossians. Again, Paul writing to a church that he had never met before. says this, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That struggle, yeah, go back to that, sorry. Uh, I want you to know that how great a struggle I have for you. Again, when your Bible was written, it was not written in chapters. It was This was a letter that Paul wrote. And the, the very... Uh, the, the verse that comes right before this, in chapter 1, verse 29, which is not in your notes, or on the screen, but it, Paul says this, For this I toil, I struggle, struggling with all of his energy, God's energy, that he powerfully works within me. Do y'all remember we talked about that last week, by the way? For this I toil and I work, working, struggling, that word struggle in the Greek is, is, uh, has the same root word that we get agony from, agonizing, working so hard, struggling not with all my strength, but with all the strength that God gives me for you, okay? All right? Hey, I'm struggling with all that. He, and he, so what is he struggling? He says, I'm struggling for you, struggling for you. Now back to verse 1. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face. What was he struggling about? What was it that was causing Paul to work so hard and be agonizing over? He says, first of all, that their hearts or your hearts may be encouraged. What we're going to be talking about today is digging deeper, going further, moving beyond where we are and to places that are yet unknown. All right? And so he says, I want your heart to be encouraged. Now, if you notice, right after the word encouraged, there is a comma, not a period, right? So I want you to see that word encouraged, and I want you to know he's not saying, I want you to feel better about yourself. So sometimes encouragement is that. Like if you come to me today, uh, 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 like, well, let me just say this. I got a text last week from people who are probably watching online that were are very special to me, precious, kind of like second parents to me when I was a teenager and they said we really enjoyed your message today okay that's encouraging well in 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 the sense of that makes you feel better it's good to hear that kind of stuff you know 
And so when somebody says, hey, you know, you're, you're, I, I like that outfit, or your hair looks good today, or your breath don't stink as much as it usually does, things that make you feel better about yourself, that's not what the word encouraged means here. The word encouraged here means, like, I, if I say I encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, that does not mean I want you to feel better about yourself. That means I want to urge you to do something. So that's what Paul is saying. I want to urge you to do something. So he's going to urge us. He's struggling, agonizing to get us, to encourage us to, to, to do something. We'll find out what that is in just a second. But then he includes this clause, that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love. So this is kind of a foundation. Literally having been knit together in love. Um, the question here is, being knit together in love, being knit together in love with who? And just reading that, if you were to just read, hey, uh, you've been knit together in love, what would you think that would, that would refer to? Hmm? Each other? I mean, it does say that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. You think, you know, that our hearts have been knit together in love. And, and, and yes, we, have, we are one body, right? God has made us the body of Christ. He talked about that in the previous chapter. So I, I think that has something to do with it. But also, we're not just knit together or tied together or joined together with each other. In fact, he's not really even dealt with that a whole lot in the letter of Colossians, but what he has dealt with is the fact that you are joined together with Jesus. You are joined together with Jesus. You are united. You are knit together with Jesus, and that knit together, again, means joined. So how are you knit together with Jesus? You, you are in him, and he is in you. And, 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 and being knit together with Jesus, not just knit together with him, but knit together in love, I, I, I want to uh, uh, just encourage you, urge you to think about the safety that exists when there is love. The safety that exists when there is love. If you have children, your children hopefully grew up or are growing up in an atmosphere of love. And love, in an atmosphere of love, Think about this. You can poop in your pants and still be loved. You can poop in your pants and it still be not fun, not enjoyable, but in an essence, okay. Especially if you're a baby, right? I mean, you, you don't like changing dirty diapers, but you know that if you have a baby, there is going to be some diapers that need to be changed. And if there's an atmosphere of love, a poopy diaper doesn't end the whole thing. You don't wake up the, or, or, you know, start going, you know, oh, you stink terribly and just throw the baby out in the yard and say, that's enough, I'm done with it. Well, why not? Because there's love there, because you love that baby. You've been knit together that baby in love, so you're willing to go through, how about this, not just dirty diapers, sleepless nights. Over and time and time, why don't you just get rid of the baby? Why don't you just give it away? Give it back. Take it to the hospital. You know, I don't know, I don't know what happened. This is not mine. You don't do that because you love the baby. And you love the baby 
because you're knit together with that. And that baby is part of you and you are part of it. He, she, however you want to say it. Okay? Part of them. That is the atmosphere of those of us who are Christians. We are joined together with Jesus in a relationship of love. For God so, he did. He did. Paul said, I, I, I no longer uh, live for myself, but I, I, I live for, for Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. First and foremost, our relationship with God is a relationship of love. Our relationship with Jesus is a relationship of love. So there is a safety in that. Okay, There's a safety in knowing God loves you. And Jesus. In fact, most of us, most of us probably take that for granted. We probably, probably just because we expect God to just forgive us for what we do because He loves us. We kind of we use the love of God. Oh, you know, I know I ain't supposed to do this, but God loves me. You know, He loves God is love. And so I can do whatever I want to do. That's not that's not a healthy attitude about the love of God. But the reality is that God does love us, and he doesn't toss us out the first dirty diaper we have, or the first time we keep him up all night, or the first time we don't, uh, uh, you know, we disappoint him and fall short of his glory. He doesn't kick us out. In fact, he, he should have, in my, in my mind, kicked me out long ago. There's no, no reason. Well, let's say this. I would not have put up with it, I'll tell you that much. I would have given up on me. I would have said, you know what? I love you, but apparently you're not cut out for this. You're not, you're, you're, you're not all in. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't care about enough. You're not willing to do things the right way. You're just not learning. So, you know, thank you. I love you, but you're not Jesus material. And he would have been right to say that. You're right. I've fallen short. I don't deserve it. But, but, but he loved me anyway. He loved me. And so, and so that's why we love other people when they make noise in church and distract from the sermon. <laughs> oh. this, this, this knowledge that we are united with Christ in love is the foundation, the safe foundation that gives us the ability to do what Paul's about to encourage us to do. There is a foundation of love. There is a safety net of love that you can, I want you to try this, and even when you fail, you will fail and fall on love. So I want to encourage you. You're united together with Christ. We are united together with each other also in love. But united, our hearts being knit together in love, I think, with Jesus. So what does he encourage us to do? What does he urge us to do? To reach, such a confusing to me, clause here, sentence. I encourage you, I urge you to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Boy, I, I agonize over that, studying that. I agonize. Terry can vouch. Agonize. It made me feel better when it hit me that 
Paul said, I'm agonizing over trying to get you to understand the Word of God fully. That's what Paul said. I'm, I'm struggling so that you understand the Word of God fully. And I was like, God, I think, encouraged me to make me feel better in that sense and said, you're, what you're doing is what Paul felt. You're agonizing, trying to get this so that you can convey it so that people can know the, the Word of God fully. But such a deep, just deep sentence, right? How do you even explain that? To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Okay, so, so what Paul, first thing Paul is encouraging you and me to do is to go beyond, to dig deeper, all right? To dig deeper in our understanding. To dig deeper in our understanding. That understanding literally means understanding how the, the dots connect. Understanding where the dots are and how they connect. Understanding how things work and why they work that way. Understanding facts and how facts fit together to create a system. Okay? So he is encouraging us to reach what he calls the riches, not just of understanding. It's not the riches of understanding. What is it the riches of? The riches of the full assurance of understanding. Okay. There are riches. There are riches in understanding Christ, which is who he's going about to tell us. That's that's what he's talking about. Understanding Jesus, who he is, how he works, what he said, why he said it, what what are his motives. There are riches in that knowledge, but there are also riches uh, knowledge of the facts, but there are riches in being there is a confidence that comes over you when you know how Christ works and who Christ is that, 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 that just gives you overwhelming peace, that, that assurance, the full assurance of knowing what you're talking about. There have been times when I was full assured of things I had no clue about. And that's poor. I've been poor. I've been looking like a cloud but had no water. Feeling like I had enough water for the whole world, and if the world would just come to me for water, I could give them everything. When the reality was, I had such little understanding of who God was and who Christ was. Here's what I knew. This is what I was fully assured of, what I believed. I had a full assurance of what I believed. But what I believed was so shallow, was so shallow, and in some cases wrong. And what, has, what I found to be a treasury of wealth is finding out the truth and being able to stand on the truth. It has changed my life. Knowing the truth, having the confidence that that I see how the dots connect. And because I see how the dots connect, I can, I'm confident, more confident in who Jesus is, what Jesus, who I am in Jesus. For instance, one of the things is, one of the things has been the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that, was it last year, year before, whenever it was. Talked about the Ten Commandments. We're not under the law, not even the Ten Commandments at that shocks you we have facebook live sermons back you can find where it's taught watch them 
Thank you for our Facebook Live people who put it out there and have it where it's where it's uh, um, it's accessible. Yeah, there's a record of it. There's a record of it, and you can find it. But that changed my life. I really, I really thought. There was a time I thought I was going to stand before God and everybody in the world was and going to be judged by the Ten Commandments. That's what I thought. I'm not, I'm not alone in that thinking, by the way. People use that in evangelism. You're going to stand before God and he's going to go, did you have any other gods before me? Did you make a graven image? Did you take my name in vain? Did you keep the Sabbath? No, we're not going to talk about that one because we... Even most Christians leave that one out. But the rest of them, they're good. You're going to be, you know, did you lie? Did you steal? Did you kill? Did you covet? Whatever. Did you commit adultery? All that stuff. You're going to stand before God. He's going to ask you those questions. If you fall short of that, you're, you go to hell. That's what I taught. That's what I used to get people to think about hell. The reality is God is not going to use the Ten Commandments to decide whether people get into heaven or not. You know why? Because you can keep the Ten Commandments and go to hell. Jesus said that. You cannot kill and murder in your heart. So that rocked my world. That understanding of the kingdom, which is about Jesus and what Jesus commanded and what Jesus said. That that's that's what life life is about. We're we we are to live our lives based on what Jesus said and who Jesus is, not based on the Ten Commandments. Because again, you can live your life based on the Ten Commandments and hit the bullseye and fall short of the glory of God and be separated from God forever. Just ask the Pharisees. They nailed it. Pharisees nailed the Ten Commandments. Nailed it and didn't mind telling you that. Wanted you to know they hit them. And everybody looked at them. Well, they hit the mark of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus was the hardest because they were hitting the wrong target. That changed my life. That Now, again, I was very confident in using the Ten Commandments, but I was confident in the wrong thing. I had full assurance, but it wasn't the full assurance of understanding. But the full assurance of understanding has changed my life. The gospel, the gospel, which is what we are to preach, didn't have a clue what it was, really, not, not in any depth, until Romans. Until Romans a year ago. You know how hard it is to preach the gospel when you don't know the gospel? Well, it's pretty easy when you think you know the gospel. When you have a full assurance of what you think, what you believe, but not really understanding the facts. The facts and how the facts fit together. But now understanding the gospel, things make sense. Things make sense. Jesus makes sense. Heaven makes sense. Hell makes sense. Judgment makes sense. It all makes sense because I have a full understanding, or a fuller, I will say, a full assurance in those things that I understand, not those things that I just believe. And the danger is that you believe things fully but don't really know the facts. It's a dangerous place to be. So what Paul says is, first of all, I want you to go and understand the facts. I want you to grow and reach out so that you can have a full assurance, a confidence in the truth, the way things really are. That understanding. I want you to have full assurance of understanding. And if you do that, it's riches. 
riches. Find out the facts. How do you find them out? I would say you find out the facts by asking questions, by reading the Word, and by asking the Holy Spirit to reveal holes in your understanding. Recognize that you don't fully understand everything. Like even the gospel, I'm not going to be a fool and say I understand the gospel completely. But, but I do understand it more completely than I did before. And what I understand, I have a full assurance of. Full assurance of. Ask the questions. Seek, seek truth. Open yourself to be challenged as you read. When you read something that sounds weird, go, what does that mean? Full, <laughs> bless her heart. Full, I'm thankful for babies, by the way. If it were not for babies, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> thankful for babies. Thankful for them. And by the way, it's good to have some life in the, in the room, you know. At least you know somebody is living and breathing and not asleep. <clears throat> Ask the questions. Grow in your understanding. Start reading the Bible if you don't. Start reading the Bible and asking questions if you don't. Start reading the Bible and asking questions and God, God revealed to me truths that I don't know. It was, it was not seeing how all the things fit together that challenged me to get to know the facts better. It was recognizing the inconsistencies in my belief system that caused me to study and, and so to find out where the facts were so I could see that it did really fit together. There's nothing wrong with that. Your, your faith doesn't have to be inconsistent with reality, with truth. Your faith should be consistent with reality and truth. Should not be inconsistent. Full assurance. So there's a growth. So here, here's the deal. Grow in your relationship with Jesus in finding out more about Jesus, what he said, how that affects you, how that changes you so that you can have a full assurance, a confidence of understanding, and that's one uh, uh, source of riches, getting to know Jesus better, facts about him, all that. The second thing is, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Second, second way he wants us to grow, he's urging us to step out and grow and go deeper, is he wants us to grow deeper in our knowledge of Jesus, okay, our knowledge of Jesus. In what way knowledge of Jesus? Because it sounds like I just told you to have more knowledge of Jesus, didn't it? Understand the facts. That sounds like a more knowledge of Jesus. That's not the knowledge that Paul is talking about right there in verse 2. Greek word again. They're, they're great. English language just does not have all the words that the Greeks had, the way that the nuances of it. So the normal word for knowledge in Greek is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. Gnosis. I mean, it fits, right? No. <clears throat> to know something. All right? To know something means to know the facts. And I think that would fit in with what we talked about before, that understanding of the facts and how the facts fit together. Not just knowing the facts, but how they fit together. That's what it means to understand. The knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, the knowledge, the Greek word is epignosis. E-P-I, gnosis. And epi means like... Uh, 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 um, uh, fitting on or according to or like um, basically like an EpiPen. Think of an EpiPen. What do you do with an EpiPen? 
boom, right on the leg or the arm or wherever it is. It's right on there. That it is, the, the, the epi means that. It's like right, right on there, connected to. And what epignosis means is a knowledge that is experienced firsthand through relationship. A knowledge that is experienced firsthand through relationship, which is not the same thing as learning facts and finding out how the facts fit together. Okay? Relationship with each other. Carrie and I have a relationship with each other that goes beyond facts. Thank God. Thank God. You know? How terrible, boring, uh, um, cold, isolated would it be if our relationship was just that I know facts about you. There'd be no life in our relationship. I'd just be facts about you. Epignosis is I know her because I've lived with her. I know her because we've done life together. I know her because we're connected and joined together. That is, we, we've experienced things together. We've experienced highs and lows. We've experienced poopy diapers. Staying up all night. Together. We've experienced vacation with five kids. Five and under. We've experienced that. That's an experience. You get to know somebody really well. We, we, get to, we, we know each other because we've lived with each other for 26 years. 27 years? It'll be 27 this year. 26 years. We've lived together that long. That's what that knowledge means, by the way. And unfortunately, you can't know that unless you have a thing that says, hey, the Greek word here. It's difference in knowledge and knowledge. Experiential knowledge. Now, going back to what Paul is saying, I want you to have experiential knowledge of Jesus. Not just knowledge of Jesus, which you need to have. But if you, if you don't have a knowledge of the facts about Jesus, you're really not going to have much. Of, if I don't know anything about Carrie, but I live with her and all that, it's not going to be good. I don't care to know anything about you. I just want to live with you. I just want you to fulfill my needs and whatever. You know, that's kind of our relationship with Jesus a lot. I really won't know. I mean, I don't care to know. Son of God, you know, uh, the mystery. I don't have time to find out no mystery. Just, just pay my utility bill. Make my kids act right. Give me, give me peace about this situation. Knowing the facts are important. But knowing the facts alone will kill a relationship. It will make a relationship dead. In order to have a good relationship, living together, experience together, leaning on one another, drawing from one another. And that's what Paul urges the Colossians to do with Jesus. I want you to live with Jesus. Remember what he said the mystery was last week. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glorifying God. The hope that you can actually do the right thing and not the wrong thing. The hope that, I, that you can actually make God look good by the way you act and talk and think and speak. Rather than bring dishonor on God by the way you act and talk and speak and think. The hope of the glory of God is Christ in you. Why? Because it means you can do those things. You can live it out. Remember we talked about the missing piece of the puzzle. Use it. Live life with Jesus. Draw on him. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for help. 
both of those things, knowing the facts that he's revealed in his word, knowing the facts and how they fit together, and knowing what it's like to live dependent on, on him, crying out to him, letting him live through you, life with Jesus, in those two things, there are great, Paul says, riches. Look what he says. Look what he says in verse 3. Which is Christ, the God's mystery, the knowledge, again, that knowledge, of ep, that, that experiential knowledge of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, very important. We will, we will get to that either next week or the, or the week after next, depending. But, but, what, but what he's saying there, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in Jesus, again, great rich, a, a, a treasure chest, a treasure trove. I'm not sure what a trove is, I should look that, but I've heard that. A treasure, a treasure chest of, of riches. And, and the problem with that is, it's hidden. That's what he says. Paul says it. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. That means it's not on the surface. That means surface level relationship with Jesus is not going to lead to treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Full assurance of understanding. Experiential knowledge. Surface level Christianity is deadly because it's empty because you're living it out and there are no riches and treasures it's just hard it's just a pain just a pain dry dead it's not worth it eventually people are going to say you know what I tried Jesus and he didn't work the problem is you tried Jesus on the superficial level on the surface and the good things about Jesus are not the surface level things, but the things that are hidden. Now, what do you got to do to get things that are not on the surface but are hidden? You have to dig. Whew. Ray Nix. I think he left. Did y'all wear him out last night? He had a funeral to go to. Ray Nix came over to my house one day. I still sleep. Saturday morning. We had a water leak somewhere. Big pile of mud, not pile of mud, but a puddle of mud. He comes and he just gets a shovel and he starts digging. Digs exactly where the leak was. Now, the water was everywhere. I mean, it wasn't like there was just one place where water was bubbling up. No, water was everywhere. He goes out and he starts digging and he finds the place where there was a water leak in my water line. And I'm thinking, and, and he had to dig. Digging is hard. Come to find out, later on, he dug a ditch at his house. I don't know how far, but a long way to bury, what was it that he was burying? Oh, so he's creating a trench for the water. Ray Nix is a digging machine. He's a digging machine. He is unbelievable with a shovel. Really is. Okay, unbelievable with a shovel. So, for everybody except Ray Nix, you may be like that. I don't know. I'm not. Digging is hard. Digging is hard work. It's hard. The only thing that would make digging 
worth it to me is knowing that there's something extremely valuable down there in Gatesville. There's a treasure down there. You ever dug looking for buried treasure when you were a kid? I did that. Never found it. Never found it. But but knowing, knowing there's gold down there, knowing there's gold down there, knowing, not that there might be, knowing there's gold down there, I dig. I dig. You tell me, 15 feet down there, 10 feet, whatever it is, there's a diamond mine right there. You think of all the things that you have to go down to, to get, the gold, diamonds, platinum. You got mine in there somewhere. Why? Mine way down deep. How about oil? Pretty valuable right now. Where is it? You got to dig for it. You got to dig for it. And we don't think about it because we got so much of it, but you water mostly. You ever had to dig a well? It's down there. It's important. You need it. Knowing that there's treasure in Jesus makes it worthwhile to do the work that it takes to go beneath the surface with Jesus. Understanding the facts, working on how the facts work together, living life with Jesus. If you do that, you go beyond the surface and get to the treasures. Apart from that, you just live surface level life with a relationship with Jesus, which is empty and dead. Here's our problem. I'm coming to a conclusion. It's uncomfortable to dig. Digging is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to change. It's uncomfortable to grow. And we want to just be comfortable. Now, let me just say this. Comfort is not a terrible thing, but it's a dangerous thing. Carrie and I together are comfortable. It's good to be comfortable. It's good. I don't have to worry every moment. What's she doing? What's she thinking? What she's, you know, I'm comfortable with her. Okay? So it's a, it's a good thing, but it's also dangerous. Why? I can get so comfortable with her that I start living on the surface level instead of doing the digging that is necessary for a healthy and growing relationship. Anytime in your relationship, marriage, friend, whatever it may be, that you start di- stop digging, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, life leaves. And you start to dry out and empty out. And here's what happens when you start to dry out. You start looking for water. You start looking for water. Now, here's the thing. You can either start looking for water in that relationship with your spouse, or you can start looking for water elsewhere. And most people, not, not most people, a lot of people, say this, this well is dried up. i got to look for water somewhere else. The problem is not that the well is dried up. The problem is that you stop digging. You stop digging. But it's hard to dig. It's hard to dig. Hey, let let me. (laughs) No, okay. (laughs) Thank you, Janice. Janice's like, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. You're right. You don't want to go there. It's hard to dig. It's hard to dig. In Carrie's defense, for me, it's hard to dig. Hey, what did you do today? Just hung up the phone. What did y'all talk about? I don't remember. 
That's frustrating. You know what she just did? She tried to dig, and I go, nothing to see here. That's the truth. It's hard to dig. Keep digging in your relationship with Jesus. Don't get so comfortable you stop digging. It's okay to be comfortable. It's great to be comfortable. But don't be, don't be so comfortable you stop digging. Here's why. Verse 4. We're closing with this. I say this. I say what? Dig into the, 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 the facts about Jesus and how the facts fit together so that you can have a full assurance of understanding and not just full assurance in what you believe. And the experiential knowledge of Jesus. Keep digging in those areas because there's treasure in them there, heels. Treasure. All the treasures of wisdom. Again, we'll get to that later. I say this, keep digging, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Here's basically what Paul means, and we'll talk about that either next week or the week after that. You're going to seek life somewhere else. I'm telling you, life is in Jesus. Just keep digging in Him. Don't stop digging in Him. If you get to the point where you stop digging in Him, I'm afraid you're going to look elsewhere for gold and treasures, and they're not there. Why? Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. If you want greater and better and you want to grow and you want to get richer, Jesus is the place, the person you get richer in. He's the source of treasure. Are you digging? Are you digging? Comfort can be great, but it can also be dangerous. It can lead to complacency, and complacency kills. Are you complacent in your relationship with Jesus? Or are you growing in your relationship with Jesus? Good news today, you can start growing right now. You can start growing. It's not to condemn you if you're not growing. Keep Just start growing again. How do I grow? I don't know. Dig. Dig. You've got a great source of facts to dig into more than you'll ever exhaust. I don't know how many times I've read these words through, but I know that I've taught through Romans at least twice before the last time I taught through it. I'm in my fourth teaching of Romans right now. Oh, it's treasure. It's treasure. It's the, the treasures have not stopped. It's not like the mine is closed and I'm just dealing with all the gold. No, there's still gold in there. In, in, in them are hills. Keeps coming to my mind. There's still gold there. Dig into it. Not just read it. It's not superficial. You just read it. There's no life in it. Study it. Dig into it. Ask the questions. Ask how does this fit with Jesus? How does this fit with the gospel? Ask those questions. Dig into it. Find it. It will bring life. There's wealth. Wealth in there. Ask the questions. And then living with Jesus. Living like, like we talked about last week, that puzzle piece. Live with the Holy Spirit. Don't do life alone. Because if you know the facts about Jesus, but you live on your own, you'll fail. It's empty, miserable, and you'll think Jesus don't work when it's really you trying to work and you don't work. You don't work. Jesus works when you allow him to work in you. Amen? Let's stand up and we'll close out this morning.